Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. We're in the middle of a series that we've been calling In the Wilderness, uh, but this week we are going to take a break because this time of year uh, we like to do something different. Uh, something that's really healthy for any church to do. And so if you're just joining us for the first time online or at one of our campuses, just consider yourself kind of listening in to a family conversation. A few weeks ago, we talked about the life of Moses and how he spent uh, a lot of time in the wilderness. And we used his last speech that he gave to Israel uh, for that sermon text. And it was the speech that he gave right before he was going to pass away and Israel was going to enter into the promised land without him. And we know that speech as the book of Deuteronomy. And what struck me when I was preparing for that message was the amount of times that Moses encouraged Israel to do one thing. And that thing was to remember, to remember, to look back on all that God had done in them and through them and for them in the past 40 years in the wilderness so that they would be prepared for that next season that they were walking into, into the promised land. In fact, Moses uses that word remember a total of 16 times in that one speech. He says this in chapter four, remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. He says, remember the day that you met the Lord. Remember the day that he revealed himself to you. He says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He says, remember the day that, the God, that God saved you that he redeemed you. He says, you may say to yourself, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Instead, remember, remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. He says, when you feel afraid, remember the power of God. And when you feel weak, remember that you've seen his strength with your own eyes. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. He says, when you feel lost, when you feel disoriented in this new phase of God's plan for you, just remember that you have a God who guides. You have a God who leads you. Remember, remember, remember. And I think the reason that Moses emphasizes this act of remembering so often in this last speech is because he knows the Israelites are about to enter into a new phase of God's plan for them. They're about to, to walk into the unknown. They're really taking this huge step of faith into an unknown future. And he knows that Israel, like us, were prone to forget. Especially when we enter new territory, our natural reflex is to forget. We're prone to seeing a new challenge and seeing how big it is and seeing how intimidating it is and forgetting God's strength and God's power towards us. Uh, we're prone to hearing a new call, but forgetting that God guides us, that he will absolutely leads us. We're prone to seeing all the brokenness and the darkness and the hurt and the sin in our broken world and forgetting that we have a God who loves to shine light in the dark places, who brings beauty from ashes. 
So one of the, mess, the best and the most powerful things that you can do before entering into a new season, before looking forward is really to stop and to look back and to remember, to remind yourself of all that God has done for you and through you. If you don't know it or not, uh, the world that you and I live in is really, really different than it was just five or 10 years ago. Uh, the pandemic, the economy, uh, the unusual circumstances that we've come through as a country and a world, they have uh, changed our culture and they've changed us. Uh, we truly are in unfamiliar territory. Uh, the world that Jesus commands us to reach and to go after is not the same world that you and I grew up in. But the call remains the same, doesn't it? Go and make disciples. Go and be salt and light into this dark and this, this needy world. And if that idea of reaching this, this new culture that we find ourselves in is intimidating or it freaks you out a little bit or it makes you afraid, it's because honestly, you're probably falling into that forgetful mindset you've forgotten. It's not our job to accomplish anything as a church. In fact, our only job is to follow hard after the God who does what only he can do. And that's what we've done for the past 28 years as a church. And that's what, our, that's what we want to be able to continue to do in the coming years and the coming decades. And so um, in the next few moments, I just wanna share with you some of the things that God has done through our church. And when I say our church, I mean you guys, you are the church. Uh, so I, we had all these statistics that we could share with you. We kind of whittled them down to a, a few dozen of them. But I just want you to sit back and listen and be amazed at all that God has done in our church through you guys just the past 12 months. In the past calendar year, we've had over 3,100 new people show up and visit our church, which is amazing in and of itself. But they haven't just visited once, they've stuck around and they've plugged in. We've had over 2,000 people volunteer at one of our ministries. Uh, we've had over 150 people go public with their new relationship with Jesus through baptism. Uh, over 3,000 people have partnered with us financially just in the past 12 months. 500 of those people have given their first gift during the last 12 months. But it's not just that people have stuck around that they have, that they have bought in, but there's also so much spiritual growth that we're seeing. Over the past uh, 12 months, $124,000 of debt was paid off by the people that went through our stewardship classes. Uh, we were able to raise almost $1.5 million for our Hope Where You Are Fund, which goes right back out into reaching the triangle and changing the world. Uh, when it comes to our families, 160 couples or 320 individuals strengthened their marriage and renewed their vows through our marriage class that we call Reengage. We had over 270 parents attend our Next Level Parenting Conference. We also had 150 guests with special needs attend our yearly Night to Shine event, which is amazing. It's one of our favorite events of the year. And that was possible because 400 of you stepped up to volunteer and make that event a possibility. Our youth is, God's doing some amazing things there. We had over a hundred high schoolers attend our HSM camp and we were actually able to almost double our MSM numbers with 260 middle school students attending our MSM camp. But that's just within the four walls of our church. God's using you to accomplish much more, especially out in our immediate area, in our communities. Just this year, you guys have donated 158,000 pounds of food. That's close to 80 tons. 
And because of that donation, 200 plus kids received backpacks full of food that they were able to take home. These are kids that don't know where their next meal is gonna come from. They depend on the food from the school system and they were able to eat that food, but also feed the rest of their families. Uh, just this year, close to 3,000 families and over 10,000 individuals were blessed from the food pantry that we have here at Hope. Uh, you guys filled over 470 bags and filled them with needed items for foster kids. That includes toys, that includes blankets, that includes diapers, that includes wipes, so that when they're moved to a new home, their parents have everything that they need to love them and care for them. We have 12 foster families that have now been surrounded by support circles. Uh, just this weekend, over a thousand families signed up to shop at our toy store. And that means that over 3000 kids will get to unpack Christmas gifts and experience that joy that, that they wouldn't have gotten to if it were not for your donations. In Fuquay Arena, uh, 65 people serve Fuquay Arena Elementary School with over 300 hours of labor. And we got to love on and pray for all the policemen at the uh, Fuquay Arena Police Department, as well as their support staff. And we were able to feed them with over 24 pounds of fajitas, my favorite statistic. Uh, in Northwest Cary, 124 people have officially joined our Northwest Cary launch team, which is incredible as we seek to launch a campus in that growing neighborhood. And they were able to love on and feed and uh, pray for over 300 teachers and staff at Panther Creek High School and Carpenter Elementary School. And that's just in the triangle. But God is using you to literally reach the corners of the globe. Just this year, we have about 16,000 video views and podcast listens every single month. Our YouTube page this year has gotten more than 1.7 million views. That's the gospel going forth into the nations. Yeah, that's awesome. As we partner with um, Sunica Water Projects in Nicaragua, through your generosity and donations, you were able to make clean water available to over 3,200 people, which is just incredible. At our international church in Grenoble, France, we have 37 different nations represented in that one congregation, people hearing the gospel and receiving it and taking it back to the countries that they're from. Yeah. Uh, with our partnership with the John Foundation in India, you might not know this, but you uh, trained over 1,280 youth with employable skills and get this, over 80% of them had job offers even before graduation day. And this is probably my favorite statistic of them all. Our partnership with Agape Church in Haiti that's been going through such a dark part of their history, such a hard moment. Not only were we able to, to give them 500 relief packages to help out with the cholera academic, uh, the, uh, the outbreak, but get this, they had a youth camp this summer where over 650 students, the future leaders of that country attended and they had 256 salvations just during that camp. New relationships with Jesus. God's doing something powerful inside of our campuses, in our local communities in the Triangle and really all over the world. Countless people have had the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. We have hundreds and hundreds of salvations and that's just in the past 12 months. And I believe that the best is yet to come. So across all of our campuses, even online, can we just stand and not applaud the name of hope, but applaud the name of our faithful God and his faithfulness and his power. That's awesome. Oh, 
right on. You guys can have a seat just for, well, probably for longer than a moment. Man, thank you, Chase, for pointing out all that stuff, helping us to celebrate so well. Thank you to you, all Hope family. I mean, you know when we celebrate that stuff, we're actually celebrating what it is that God is doing through you, through all of us as Hope Community Church. So what an amazing year. I should say uh, thank you to our staff and they work so hard, uh, some of the greatest people on the planet and probably have a little bit too much fun sometimes, but that's okay. Uh, I should say thank you to our elders. Uh, A lot of you will never know how much this group cares and invests and prays for our church and for this community and uh, not even to mention the care uh, and the support that they show for me and for my family, but most importantly, appropriately so like we did, man, thanks to God. I mean, for some reason, he has decided to bless this church community called Hope Community Church in spite of ourselves. And it's obviously not because we have everything together, man, but God is doing some incredible things. And I really do believe that our best days uh, are ahead of us. So listen, here we are, we're in a message entitled Looking Back, Looking Forward. And in a message like this, typically speaking, what happens is somebody gets up here and you expect them to talk to you about a bunch of stuff that we're going to do in the next calendar year. And uh, we're going to do that. Okay, there's some things that we're excited about. I'm going to tell you about that. But it's probably going to be more at the end. Because the longer that I spent, like actually in the text, in the scripture that I believe that God had for us this weekend, um, the more I felt that God wants us to spend less time talking about the things that we're going to do and more time addressing the people that he wants us to be. And uh, if I were to say that a little bit differently, I think God wants us to see even more clearly what the church is more so than what our church is actually supposed to accomplish. And so to do that, I want to start out just by asking you a question and just kind of get us all on the same page. And the question is this, do you believe that the church is enough? And you say enough for what? What what does that mean? But I just mean like when you look out at the world around us and you see all the hurt and the anxiety and, and the tension and the addiction and all the challenges that we all face in our families, especially this time of year, uh, the mental health crisis, when you look out and you see the brokenness everywhere, is the church enough to be the answer? And um, I think when, when I think about this, it probably comes down to what you think about when you think about the church. And, and the problem is, is, is a lot of people, including a lot of well-intentioned Christians, they don't really have a healthy understanding of, of what the church is supposed to be. And so a lot of us, you know, when you first think, well, what is the church? You think about maybe a building or at best, it's a a thing that a group of people go to for maybe one to three hours a week uh, and they sing some songs together and they worship Jesus and maybe somebody gets up and talks about the Bible, but then we just head out and it's back to the usual. It's back to the grind Monday to Saturday and most of the decisions are made, most of the ministry is done and most of the programs are led by like paid professionals. And I've got some bad news. Like if that's the extent of the church, if that's all that we are and the world is as broken as we know that it is, then the answer to my question, is the church enough, is absolutely not. But the good news is, uh, that's not the church that Jesus died and rose from the grave to set in motion and there's more to our story, but man, I'm convinced right now more than ever that we'd better figure out what it is. Because I want you to understand, I wanna be very clear on this, evil, is on the move. There's no doubt about it. We have an enemy, John chapter 10, verse 10. It tells us uh, that the enemy only comes, only comes to steal, to kill and destroy. And so we have an opposition and listen very carefully. Evil will not stop itself. 
good has to stand up and has to get in the way. And I actually think it's one of the greatest plays that our enemy has ever ran when he said, hey, let's just let Christians focus on growing big gatherings and attending church on the weekend. And maybe they'll lose sight of the real power that they actually have to change the world. And for a while, it's been so convenient to be a Christian in our, cult- in our culture that it's possible that we actually don't have the edge or maybe the toughness that we need uh, to live out our faith. There's this guy, Todd Bolsinger, he's quoted as saying, a church bred under the protection of the state isn't trained to fend for itself in the streets. And we've said for a long time around here, like, hey, we're not a country club church. And the reality is like, I'm gonna say something hard here. If you just kind of look around at the campus that you might be in right now, <clears throat> I wonder, have we lied to you? And, um, and that's just a question that we've just got to deal with. I mean, it, I know that we do more than what country clubs do, but when you look around, like we set some barriers in place that make it hard for us to realize we're supposed to do more than just show up at a great place. And what is the church was never meant to thrive in a protected environment. It was meant to thrive when the opposition rises and the fear of no hope is greater than it's ever been. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. And in today's world, we need to become a church that's ready for the streets. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at a place in Scripture where Jesus takes his disciples to this place where they see front and center the opposition that's right in front of them. And he actually sets in motion and casts vision for the first time ever, this idea of the church. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn uh, to Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse uh, verse 13 is where we'll start. And while you're going there, I just want to be really clear. Uh, The way I kind of started this out and set this up, it could sound like like I'm against the church gathering together. (laughs) And I want to be very, very clear. I'm not against the church gathering together. In fact, if you can hear my voice at any campus or if you're just listening online, I think one of the best things for you in your life is regularly getting together with a group of men and women and students and lifting up the name of Jesus and being reminded of who he is and what he's done for you and celebrating that together because something happens in our life when we get together and we remind ourselves of those things. I'm just saying that if that's all there is, the way that evil is chasing after what's going on in the world right now and embarking on what's going on in the world, we're missing out on some things. And so let's start in verse 13. Excuse me. Okay, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Just to give you some context here. uh, This is a moment in Jesus' life. It's about three weeks before his death. And so these men, his disciples, they've been following him for about three years. And what he knows is they have this expectation that he's about to establish a new kingdom. Okay, he's going to overthrow the kingdom of Rome and they're going to lift up this new kingdom for the Israelites. But at the same time, He also knows that in about three weeks, he's going to be killed. He's going to be crucified. And these disciples, they think right now things are about to get better, but they're actually going to seem like they're getting a whole lot worse. And so he leads these men to this place called out of Capernaum, headed to this place called Caesarea Philippi. It's a place that's far north in Israel. And I think he took them there because he wanted to make a statement. He wanted to be really, really clear about the opposition that they're going to face and what they're going to be able to stand through. And uh, to give you a little history on this, so Caesarea Philippi, it's a city where Herod the son 
Uh, Herod the Great's son, King Philip, he had dedicated essentially like a rock, uh, a giant mountain to the Caesars of Rome. And at the base of that mountain is a deep cave. And in front of that cave was a 200 year old temple to the Greek god Pan. Okay, so you've got a pagan god statue here. And then next to that stood another temple that had been, had been erected to the Roman god Jupiter. So Jesus takes these disciples to this place that clearly represented the opposition that they're fighting against. So he takes them deep into enemy territory. And as he's standing there uh, with these two pagan God statues right beside him, he looks at him, he says, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied in verse 14. He said, some say it's John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked this question in verse 15. He asked them, but who do you say I am? And before we go any further, I mean, I just wanna stop here for a minute and I want you to put yourself in this place. So you've got everything that represents your opposition all around you. And I don't know what that is for you. I know what it is for me right now in my life. Uh, maybe it's a family member. You know, maybe it's a lack of resources. Maybe it's the loss of a family member. Maybe it's a sin or addiction that nobody else in your life knows anything about. And that opposition is kind of floating around, but Jesus is looking at you right in the face. He says, no, I know this is all around, but I want you to look at me right here. Who do you say I am? And this week, as I was thinking through this, it kind of struck me. That is always the most important question. It doesn't matter what the opposition is. It doesn't matter the sickness. It doesn't matter the challenge. It doesn't matter what it is that the media is throwing in front of you. The question, the most important question always is, who do you say Jesus is? And I'm going to tell you right now, my family, my wife and I, we've been going through some things in the last six months. Uh, and it's some things that we would have, truthfully, it feels like it's been going on for about four years, but the last six months specifically, we've been dealing with some things and, and we're great. It's, it's really some mental health stuff with our extended family, but it's like the anxiety is like just right there at the cusp all the time and you never know when the bottom's gonna drop out. And I'm telling you, if I didn't have the answer to this question that we're about to hear from Peter, uh, I'm telling you, I don't know that I would be standing here in front of you right now. Who do you say Jesus is? Here's what Peter says. He looks at Jesus. He says, you were the Messiah, the son of the living God. And we've got to be real careful not to just jump over that because some of us, you've been in church for a while, you hear that and you're like, oh yeah, this is this part where Peter recognizes that Jesus is the son of God and you move right through. Or you could be hearing this and think, I don't really know what this word Messiah really means. I've never heard this before. But you gotta really dig into what this word means to, for this to make sense. And so at this point, uh, these men, they would have known what we would be calling Old Testament prophecy that says there is coming a savior, okay, a Messiah. And not just to save them from the sins of the world because that's a part of it, but also to establish a new kingdom as a king. And that king, he would establish his reign and then his followers would live out that king's new way of life, would live out a new kingdom in the world around him. And uh, this is one of the places where I think we as the church in the West, we kind of miss this a little bit. And um, it's probably because of, you know, if you remember, we kind of left that, right? The idea of a king and a queen, we kind of left that over there and we came here. And then uh, for honest, most of us here in America don't really like people telling us what to do, but <clears throat> we kind of are really quick to lift up this idea of a savior, right? Because I think most of us are quick to realize we've got some junk in our lives. 
And we like the idea of there being a savior, especially God that would be willing to forgive us of our sins. And make no mistake about it. I mean, he does. Salvation is a free gift that's offered to us. Our sins are forgiven by simply believing. But you need to understand that what Peter's professing right here is so much more. He's saying, yeah, you're our savior, but you are the coming king. You are here to establish a new way of life and a kingdom. And I fully expect to follow you into that new way of life. Here's what Jesus says. He replies, verse 17, you were blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. So Jesus says, hey, for you to understand this, this is a gift in your life. And I mean, we could preach a a whole sermon just on that one verse right there, but I really want to move to verse 18 because I think that's where the clarity and the hope really comes from. And remember, I said, we need to be focusing on what the church is. So uh, what the church is, verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Some translations say the gates of hell will not stand against it. If I didn't know any better uh, by reading that, I I would say that Jesus' answer to my question earlier, is the church enough? I think his answer would be absolutely uh, the answer is yes. And so so I want to focus in on this. I think there's so much truth and power in this one verse. And so again, I want you to go, go back to that situation. You picture yourself, you're surrounded by your opposition. And Jesus asked the question, who do you say? And Peter says, you're our savior and our king. And Jesus says, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. Which rock? The rock, the foundation of the truth that Peter just confessed. Jesus Christ is our savior and is our king. He's not saying, Peter, you were the rock. He's saying on the truth that you just confessed, me as your savior and king, on that, I will build my church. You see, for a kingdom to be established, there first has to be a king. And there's a couple of things here that we can't miss And I think, again, as we're looking forward as a church, I just believe God's saying, hey, don't miss these things and the craziness of the world that's going on around us right now. So there's two things. And the first is this, the church is built on one thing, and that's the person of Jesus. Man, Jesus is the one who lived a perfect life. He he paid the price for our sins. He died and rose again three days later, overcoming sin and death and Satan. And Jesus, our Messiah, is the foundation for the church and therefore the foundation for us overcoming the opposition and the evil that we face. It's not a building, it's not a program, it's not a weekly service, it's not a pastor, it's not myself, it's not Chase, it's not a Pope. And I want you to hear me say, I think um, this is an area that the church in America has often gotten wrong. Not all the time, but it's in part why we do teaching the way we do at Hope, where we have a rotating teaching team. And you're going to see more of that in the months and in the years ahead. But it's no other man other than Jesus. And this is so important because when you look out at the world around us right now, you see so many people that look at the world and they say, man, we need a better kingdom. But no one really wants the king. And in fact, if anything, right now, you've got the world that's telling people, especially our students, like, hey, you know what? You can be your own king. And I'm telling you, if you want to like not stand against the gates of hell, but invite the gates of hell into your life, you show me a man that's willing to say, hey, I'm going to be the Lord of my own life. You can't build a kingdom without a king. The second is this, and this is right here in this verse, the church must be on mission. And uh, 
You can say, well, how do you get that, Jason? Like I read the verse. <laughs> I didn't really see it in there. But to get there, you've got to really understand. Could you say that again? No, Siri. I can't say that again. Thought I had notifications off, but we'll see what happens. Where the heck were we? This is why I have notes. You never know what I'm going to say next. Uh, how do you get there? To understand where, why the church has to be on mission, you have to understand the word that Jesus uses uh, for church in the, original, in the original language. So when Jesus says, I will establish my church, he uses this Greek word, ekklesia. And believe it or not, this is the first time this word is ever in the Bible. And so to anybody listening that would have heard this, this, this would kind of perk their ears up. This would have caught them off guard specifically for what it represents. Uh, historically. So I want to unpack this uh, a little bit for us. So Jesus, at this moment, he's 33 years old and he knows he's going to die soon, but he's got a vision to create a church, an ecclesia that's going to change the world. But some 350 years earlier, another man died at the age of 33 and his name was Alexander the Great. And in about 10 years time, he marched 50,000 Greeks, 10,000 miles. He conquered 2 million square miles across three continents. And no one in history has conquered more countries, defeated more, more kings, or seized more territory in that amount of time. But he's called Alexander the Great, not just because he conquered so much territory, but it's more for how he transformed the world some 500 years after he died. And so what he was known for was setting up these colonies or what they called ecclesias in the communities that they'd conquered. And the Greek word ecclesia, it literally means like called out ones or sent out ones. And so what he would do is he would call out or send out some of the best Greeks from Greece and he would send them to these new areas that they'd conquered and they would live out the Greek way of life and their culture. And so by living out their way of life, they transformed the culture around them. And that transformation of that two million square miles that he conquered is what we learned about in our world civilizations class, if you went, um, called Hellenization. And so realize right here, Jesus is standing here in front of these statues that are there as a result of Alexander's ecclesias. And these statues, they represent the opposition to the Israelites. And it's like in this moment, Jesus is kind of like, uh, showing a gesture <laughs> to the powers that be, to these statues. And he's saying, listen, uh, on that rock, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my church, but the gates of hell won't stand against it. And he could have used a different Greek word in that moment. In fact, they probably would have expected him to do that. He could have used uh, a different word that the Jews took from the Greeks, a word synagogue, which refers to gatherings of like-minded people. It's the word that the Jews use for this word we know, synagogue, right? And so that's a place where the Jews can come apart from their Gentile neighbors and they can be with like-minded Jews. They can speak Hebrew. Uh, they can sing their Psalms. They can eat kosher food. They can practice their religious way of worship. But synagogues were places where you can go away from people that are different than you. And then you can go and be with the people that are just like you. And I want you to understand me say, that is not a bad thing in and of itself. Okay, every Sunday I go to a church service. Typically, I am at more than one campus on any given Sunday. Lots of people celebrating the same things. And then on Sunday afternoons, I usually do everything I can do to spend my Sunday afternoons with family or friends where I can just kick back, be myself. I don't have to feel like I need to be on. I can just relax. That's a good thing, and we should do it. But that's not what Jesus said would stand against the gates of hell. Remember, evil will not stop itself. Good has to step up 
and oppose. And so Jesus sits there and he looks at his opposition and he says, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my churches or my groups, my called out ones, and they will be sent out, sent out, and they will build on me as their savior and Messiah, as their king. And then they will live out this new kingdom way of life in the middle of culture. And they will change the world, but it's from the inside out. Jesus didn't say go and do this program. He said, go and live this way of life. And so hope that's the church. The church is a group of people that know that Jesus is their king and they go out into the world around them and they live out his kingdom way of life and culture. Sorry, could you say that again? (laughs) Unbelievable. Like right at that moment, right at that moment. We go out and live out this kingdom way of life in the midst of culture and Jesus says that the gates of hell will not stand against it. So ultimately, at the end of the day, man, looking forward, what does Hope Community Church look like in 2023? That's it. Okay, so Jesus is calling us into this mission. But you know, you don't go into a mission uh, without a battle plan. And so uh, we're going to be focusing on a few areas. And uh, I'm going to spend the next few minutes telling you about these. But I'm going to go pretty quickly. And I want you to know, in January, we're going to be doing a podcast where we're kind of going to be digging into each one of these a little bit deeper. So if you want more details, that's going to be coming your way. But we have this crazy goal as a church. It says in five to seven years, we want to see 100,000 men, women, and students following Jesus by thinking and living biblically. You say, okay, that that sounds great. What does that mean, like thinking and living biblically? That just means 100,000 men, women, and students who are following Jesus and actually equipped to live out this kingdom way of life in the world around us. And so we're going to do a few things. Uh, the first is this. We know it, we're going to work better. Uh, we're, we're going to work better to equip you to be able to think and live biblically. And uh, we're placing a huge focus this year on resourcing you uh, through our new app. You're going to have access to uh, a number of new growth tracks to choose from. We're calling this Hope in Real Life. And so this is going to be something that's in your pocket that you have access to. Whenever you've got some downtime, you're going to be able to share it uh, with family. You're going to be able to share it with friends. There's going to be a podcast associated with it. And you're even going to be able to find community inside of whichever growth track uh, that you're engaged with. So right now we're looking at beta testing this thing with some of our uh, staff, ministry leaders, small group leaders uh, around the middle of the first quarter. So if that's you, uh, first quarter of 2023, if that's you, be on the lookout for it with the hope of being able to launch it um, in, around Easter of 2023. Uh, so that's coming down the pipe. Second, we're going to continue to build into families, man. We believe as a church, we are called to build families that thrive. Uh, we know that biblically, uh, the family is the foundation for where discipleship is supposed to happen. But we also know that the biblical family right now uh, is under attack. And so next year, we're gonna be focusing on getting connection and growth around the dinner table. So we're gonna be challenging every single Hope family to find one night per week, one out of seven, to commit to sitting down together as a family and having a conversation about what God's doing in your life and how it's changing. You could think, okay, that sounds incredibly intimidating. We're gonna resource you all right, with a conversation guide. Who knows? Maybe we'll even put it in the app. Right, but we're giving this a trial run right now, just so you know, uh, a family conversation guide that's centered around Christmas. And so if you go to our website, gethope.net slash Christmas, you can find the, the Christmas season conversation guide. So check that out. 
Uh, of course, we're going to continue to invest in our, our family ministry environments. I, I believe Kid City and our student ministry team, our special needs team is, is second to none. And so, of course, that's going to continue the way it's going. But we are going to shift some of our focus there in those environments to make sure that we're equipping you to be able to think and live biblically, to live out this kingdom way of life where you live, learn, work, and play. Third, um, and this is a big one, but you're going to continue to hear us talk about meeting the needs of our community before they come to us. Uh, some of our key initiatives, Fostering Hope, we launched uh, you know, just about a year ago, but we believe that God is calling us as a church to step into the foster care system and change that thing uh, from the inside out. And we've been at it now for about a year. And if you're out and about, if you talk to someone who's involved in the foster care system, I've heard a number of times over this past year, wait a minute, you're from that, that Hope Church? Like people know in the foster care world about our church and the difference that we're making. And that's you guys. And we believe that we're just getting started there. Uh, another is investing in our men and women in uniform, our first responders. Um, I officiated uh, two funerals this past year for fallen officers. And um, man, you want to talk about um, a group that gives their life to serving other people, but is also contrasted with this being misunderstood, being under-resourced. This is a group of people that I believe that they need the light and love of Jesus uh, like never before. And so you're going to hear us talking more about that. Uh, our partnerships with Ship of Zion, uh, investing in vulnerable women, rescuing women out of trafficking situations and prostitution in Raleigh. You're going to hear more about that. Our global partnerships will not change. Our primary ministry through Agape and Haiti is going to be front and center. Uh, I think my wife told me this past week that 40 new women uh, just got accepted into their vulnerable women's ministry that we helped them get started as Suave Vaughn. And uh, this is probably what I'm the most excited about. You're going to hear us talking more about decentralizing when it comes to meeting the needs uh, in our community. And I just want to give you a couple of examples in this. This couple doesn't know uh, that we're going to do this incredible couple that call uh, Hope Comp. Well, Brooke's incredible. Matt's like, okay. Uh, but Brooke and Matt Kelly, uh, these are two people, man, and they're small group. What they do is they're, they're engaged in hope. And then when we start some type of initiative, they just grab a hold of it and just start running with it. <laughs> and if anything, man, they're telling us, hey, we're doing this and we're doing this. And we posted this on social media and we got these people connected. And so is it okay if we do X, Y, and Z that we hadn't even thought about? And at times, I'll be honest, it would be easy for us to say, listen, that's too far, too fast. It's kind of getting a little bit messy. But if we did that, it wouldn't be near as effective as what it is that they're doing. And I believe as a church, we probably need to be better at running to messes and so you're going to hear us celebrating things like that. And I know that Mount Brook, they don't do that on their own. They've got their small group behind them. But man, every time I turn around, it seems like they found another need that they're calling people into meeting. Uh, another story, I, um, a lot of you probably know, so I coach youth football and you end up meeting different families that do that. And uh, I, I won't use any names here, but there's one family, she's a single mom and her son was on the football team. Somehow, someone from our church, um, from my small group, met this mom, and they were having some financial challenges. So somehow they ended up getting invited to our Garner campus, where they met with somebody that kind of walked them through financial coaching. That person learned about some other needs that they had, and how somehow that made it to our Garner campus pastor, which then somehow made it to my small group. And then today, uh, I'm actually just kind of going through my notes, and I get pictures sent to my phone. There's people in our, from my small group that are there helping install a hot water heater at this woman's house. This is not anything that's programmed by the church. Yeah, if you can celebrate that. <clears throat> 
But that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about, man. We've got to figure this out. And so I told our leadership team uh, this past week. And so if you work in our finance and accounting team and you haven't heard this yet, I'm sorry. Um, But I told our lead team, you know what I think we need to do in 2023? We need to set aside um, a portion of our general contributions fund so that our church can go out in the community and find needs and then come back to us and say, hey, like we've got eight, 10, 12 people, we've realized this need, but we don't have the resources. And then we can say, oh, sure, yeah, that's no problem. The church has actually given resources to give to the church to go out and be the church. And so just expect to hear more about that as we head uh, into 2023. Look, I need to say this uh, before we wrap up. Uh, God is clearly calling us into some big things as a church, and that requires a church uh, that's all in. But we're heading into a season here at the end of the year where how we end the year financially, it could dramatically impact the pace that we can run in ministry when we start out in 2023. Now, I know the economy is not everything that it was uh, two, three years ago, but I do know that ministry is no less needed. And... uh, The world right now needs a church that can run as fast as it needs to uh, when ministry needs pop up. And here's what I know. And this is like just family talk here. When I look at a church the size of Hope and then I look at the, the average socioeconomic status of the triangle and those that would make up Hope, we as a church are nowhere close to our true giving capacity. All right, and so what that means is we're limited as a church in our ministry capacity. And so I know this is the time of year where some of us maybe receive end of year bonuses, maybe you receive like a final payout. And if that's you, uh, I wanna remind you uh, of our mission. And uh, who knows, maybe you can help out and cover for some others that are in a difficult time right now. Uh, But I can confidently say that I don't believe there's a better place that you can invest your resources in God's mission uh, than Hope Community Church. And so if this is your church, I, I want to challenge you. I want to call you and let's finish in this year strong. Go to gethope.net slash give and let's make sure we finish 2022 where we need to and start 2023 on the right foot. I want to go back to the beginning. Um, I believe looking forward that God wants to change our paradigm when we think about the church. Because the answer to my first question of is the church enough? The answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. And so as we finish this year, and as we start jumping into 2023, um, I want us to focus on two questions. The first is who do you say Jesus is? Because I'm telling you, there's not a more important question. And if you're here, if you're listening to this online, if you're listening down the road and you've never really dealt with that question before, but you're like, understand, so wait a minute, you're saying that there's a God that loves me in spite of my own sin and he's done something for me to rescue me out of my brokenness. And that might be all you understand. The answer to that question is yes. And Jesus wants to be your savior and he wants to be your king. And if that's you, I just would encourage you, man, reach out, talk to somebody. If you're at one of our campuses right now, our campus pastors are gonna tell you about what you can do at the end of the service, but you can head to our Next Steps area. If you're online, you can just post something there in the chat to say, I wanna make a decision for Jesus. But if you've made that decision, I wanna challenge us to slow down more regularly and just look in the mirror and say, who do I say Jesus is? Because I'm telling you, when you say he's my king, 
It changes how we live our lives. Secondly, I want us to ask, what does it look like to live out his kingdom? Because it's gonna look differently for all of us. Okay, um, we at Hope, we, we can program certain ministry opportunities. We can program weekend services. We can't program you as ecclesia. We can't program you as called out, as sent out one where you live, learn, work and play. That's only for you to do. As I said earlier, man, um, evil's on the move and good has to step up and it has to jump in the way. And Jesus has put a game plan in place. Hope, let's be a church that lives our life like we believe Jesus is our savior and he's our king. And let's go out into this world and live life in this new kingdom way of life in the world around us. Because we know if we do, the gates of hell will not stand against it. Father, Here we stand or sit (laughs) or whatever we're doing right now. Um, And I believe that you want to do something new and fresh in your church. I believe that to some degree we have allowed the church to become the tame version of what you originally intended. I believe that somehow we've allowed the church to sit back and to stay quiet in the world around us and maybe just get a bit comfortable going to our worship gatherings, which are a beautiful thing. But I think we've missed out on the true power and the true calling that you have placed on us to go out into the world and establish your new kingdom. And so Jesus, as we head out, as we wrap up 2022, as we head into 2023, Lord, would we address, would we deal with who we say Jesus is? Lord, would we understand that that, that saying and declaring that you're our savior and declaring that you're our king that calls us into a new way of life? Lord, it can be hard. You tell us in this life we're gonna face trials. Lord, but would we be a church that takes your church and that takes the hope that you've given to us out into the world. Lord, we love you. And we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.